0: We need a strong leader who shares America's values. Over the
1: campaign for president under scrutiny. Please do not record. Oh, oh, whoa. whoa, whoa.
2: Okay. You, yeah. just you just grabbed, grabbed phone my, my phone. phone.
0: <laughs> I just thought that's you put your phone in. Don't, don't put the phone in his face. Okay. You do record, but don't put the phone okay. In. Okay.
1: Questions about the mayor's money, questions about his future.
0: About the developer money you tell.
1: Miami Mayor Francis Suarez with us live. Yes. THE NEXT LEADER OF THE HOUSE.
3: WHAT I WOULD LIKE TO SEE IS A HOUSE WHERE EVERY DECISION HASN'T BEEN WORKED OUT IN ADVANCE.
1: SOUTH FLORIDA REPRESENTS, HINTING AT A NEW DAY.
2: GRAND SPEECHES WITH BEAUTIFUL, SWEEPING VISIONS, AND THEN SOMETIMES IT'S MORE DIFFICULT TO OPERATIONALIZE THOSE THINGS. THE PLAN, THE
1: PRIORITIES, AND THE POLITICS. SPEAKER DESIGNATE DANIEL PEREZ LIVE.
2: IF THERE'S ONE THING I KNOW IT'S EDUCATION.
1: OFF TO THE RACES, EYEING THE SCHOOL BOARD. So the last six years, I've been looking for that something bigger. I just couldn't sit on the sidelines anymore. Two public school veterans, one already in the headlines. The big news of the week and the newsmakers live this week in South Florida. Good Sunday morning. Hello, hello, I'm Glenna Milberg. We begin with the Miami mayor with us today for the first time since his run for president and facing questions about his actions as an elected official and your right to know about that. Days after this video was made public, the mayor reacting physically to Herald reporters recording on a cell phone at City Hall. Francis Suarez then arranged a round of local interviews of which this will be one. Some developing Miami news first. Last night, Miami commissioners, the four of them remaining, voted to keep open the District 1 seat of arrested and suspended Commissioner Alex Diaz de la Portilla until voters fill it in the election in November. Diaz de la Portilla is fighting criminal accusations of selling his vote and influence. Commissioner Joe Carollo, alternatively, was recently found civilly responsible for weaponizing city code enforcement against business owners. But back to the mayor. Francis Suarez has been under scrutiny for payments and gifts from people doing business with the city and income from more than a dozen firms during his time in office. The first indications of that came only recently from required financials Suarez had a file for his run for the presidency. So today we talk about that as well as the mayor's role going forward, the functioning of a city with two fifths of its principals fighting corruption allegations and where all of this is heading for him. Francis Suarez, welcome.
0: Thank you, Glenn. It's wonderful to be with you on a Sunday. It's not a bad day to be in City Hall, working uh, with a beautiful day like this and a beautiful background.
1: Yeah, what are you doing today there?
0: I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm working. I'm working for for the people of the city of Miami, talking to you. It's part of my job.
1: Well, we are going to talk all about that, and, um, and I want to I want to begin going forward, really, and then we'll backtrack a bit. But you're just back a month from the presidential campaign trail. You are in that position for another year before your term limited. Mayor, you have expressed such frustrations often in your tenure about how limited the role of Miami mayor is by city code. It's, uh, it's veto power, but it's no vote. The commission kind of has that juice. So, so what is your agenda for the next year?
0: you know, it also doesn't have any administrative power. You know, I, I tried to change that uh, when I first got elected, uh, maybe naively. Um, when I was elected uh, in 2017, by 85% of the vote, I thought I had a mandate uh, to change the system of government, to make it more accountable, uh, to give the mayor more ability to actually make decisions. And unfortunately, the voters rejected that. That's that's the part of the democratic process. So my vision GOING FORWARD IS TO FOCUS ON on THE ISSUES THAT OUR RESIDENTS CARE ABOUT. I THINK WE'RE, YOU KNOW, AND I KNOW THE NARRATIVE AROUND CITY HALL RIGHT NOW uh, BY MANY IS NOT POSITIVE, BUT I LIKE TO FOCUS ON THE THINGS THAT I THINK ARE VERY POSITIVE. WE JUST LOWERED TAXES YET AGAIN. Um, I HAD SET THE LOWEST TAX RATE IN HISTORY. NOW WE LOWERED IT ONE MORE TIME. WE HAVE A 14% GROWTH RATE. I THINK THAT'S THE HIGHEST GROWTH RATE IN OUR HISTORY. WE'RE NUMBER ONE IN WAGE GROWTH. WE HAVE THE LOWEST UNEMPLOYMENT IN AMERICA. AND OUR HOMICIDES THIS YEAR are 40% below last year, which is a per capita 1964 low. So this year, we want to focus on continuing on those wins, but also focus on some of the things that our residents are struggling with. We know affordable housing uh, is a major issue in our city and across America, frankly. We have $30 million still unspent from the Miami Forever Bond. I want to make sure that that gets put to work immediately. Um, And then I want to work with commissioners, even though I don't have a formal role in this, in extending our CRAs, because that could create hundreds of millions of dollars more of affordable housing money, and we leverage that at somewhere between a a 10 to one or 20 to one rate. So that could create billions of dollars of affordable housing for our residents.
1: Got it. So that was, I feel like I'm listening to your stump speech. All of that, that's a great tight list. I I wanna go back to something that you said. You you actually tried to pass an initiative you just mentioned as a strong mayor, that did not come to pass. But during that campaign, I remember you were outlining the reasons why you thought that that would be a great idea. Um, that was what 2018. It didn't come to pass. And you had said during that time that you were very frustrated because when residents and your constituents called you to get a pothole fixed or something like that, that they expected you to pick up the phone, call the department head and get it done. But you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to call any department heads. You're not allowed to take those actions and direct people, the staff in the city to help your constituents. And I remember that was very frustrating for you
0: it was and it still is you know obviously all we can do is when we get a complaint that comes into our office we do we refer uh, to the administration the administration uh, takes whatever action they deem appropriate or or and we really don't have uh, any sort of recourse other than something very dramatic like firing the city manager, which of course I would not do because the city manager is doing a phenomenal job and you can't you can't take that kind of dramatic action when one little thing isn't done to your satisfaction. So, look, that, I, I respect the voters' desire. I've worked within the charter uh, to to accomplish the goals. And I'll just say two, two quick things. One is to correct the record a little bit. I have two years left. I think you said I had one year's left before I'm termed out. As of November, I have two years left. You do,
1: 25. Left. I'm not yeah. good at math.
0: It's okay. <laughs> You're right. I, I, most people think it's it's even number years, so that's to be forgiven. And then uh, uh, the second part is that, you know, uh, we got to also f- uh, focus on flood mitigation. I know I was going through a, a list of things, and you sort of it, it get long winded. But uh, we do need to focus on flood mitigation. We have a lot of money from also the Miami Forever, a bond that it still hasn't been programmed. And I want to focus my last two years to make sure that we're as resilient as possible when I leave.
1: As we learned this weekend, that is critical. All right, I want to I want to bring it back, wind mm-hmm. back to something. I want to go back to constituent services because because that becomes very relevant right now because as you know, Coconut Grove developer that you were working for is under investigation now, having a boatload of problems on his own. Rishi Kapoor with Location Ventures, uh, you have acknowledged pay being paid by him ten thousand a month for more than a year, one hundred seventy thousand dollars, and during that tenure, he called you, he met with you, he was having problems getting some zoning issue resolved, and that zoning issue was resolved by the city. So those two things, the, the payments to you and the resolution of his zoning problem, I, I'd like for you to kind of connect those dots for constituents. Was that payment for getting things done in Miami?
0: Absolutely not. Um, I, I worked for him. I, like I said, I've admitted to working for him. Uh, I worked for him on things unrelated to the city of Miami. In fact, there was a conflict provision uh, in the agreement which prevented him from asking for anything related to the city. Um, and I had absolutely no involvement in his approval. His approvals uh, were based on an email chain that I was not involved in. Uh, every single member of the administration, as you said, I don't have the power as mayor to solve the problem anyhow. But when you refer it, um, every single member of the administration, uh, including the member of my office, did not talk to me about the issue. They've said that publicly. So this would really... you?
1: Would you be surprised to to know that he said you did? He wrote an email October 22nd, asking Laz to thank the mayor for his as- support and assistance, and and also some of the internal company memos have him meeting with you. Have the people involved in this project saying that, well, let's get Rishi to talk to the mayor as they were having problems. Did, did you see this? Does that surprise you? Are these are and these it, it on, did, are these, are these valid?
0: It did surprise me. Uh, and I think he even said at the time that the Miami Herald interviewed him that we did not have the meeting. In fact, uh, I think the me- internal company records that you're referring to had the meeting of happening on August 2nd, um, and he was in Hawaii. He showed that documentation to the Miami Herald. Uh, he showed him a picture, a, t- a, a, a timestamp picture that he was in Hawaii. He sent him his tickets that he had left in late July and was in Hawaii till mid-August. The Miami Herald decided never to publish that. I don't know why. I wish they would have. I think that would have exculpated me. And for whatever reason, they decided not to publish it. That's their right, of course, to publish things or not publish things. But I also think it has to, you know, things have to be fair. Uh, and I think, in fairness, when you discover facts. That do not fit a particular narrative. You also have a journalistic obligation to publish them. You have done that in the past, Atlantana. You know, there have been times where people have accused me of something. You've, you know asked me about it. I provided you facts. I provided you documentation. And you decided not to publish a story because you were convinced that that I was right, and that and the documentation was correct.
1: So, okay, no, fair fair point. We're simpatico on that. but but here is this documentation of this company and Rishi Kapor thanking you for your help on something what what did you help them on and and helping a constituent is what you're supposed to do but but the payment for that help as an elected official you know is what's problematic to constituents so what is he thanking you for
0: of course, that would be problematic. And I have absolutely, by the way, I'm not upset at all at the Miami Herald for writing an article based on- I,
1: I'm not talking about the Herald at all. I, no, in I, fact, I, the, the Herald is the one who- I'm not upset
0: at any media outlet for talking about it. I'm here to talk about it with you. I'm not upset at anyone for wanting to talk about it. I think it's absolutely in bounds. So what, did, um, what
1: were they thanking you for?
0: I, I have no idea what, what he was thanking me for. I wasn't involved in those emails. I wasn't included in those emails. So I was never told uh, that. So, I, you know, again, I am not, I have not been involved in any of those series of emails related to his approval, not one. I wasn't involved in one meeting related to his approvals. All members of my administration have already said that publicly. This should have been a closed, uh, you know, this should have been closed a long time ago. Uh, and I've talked about it and I've answered these questions time and time again. So I'm not so sure why we continue to talk about it. But listen, I, I will continue to, to say the very same thing that I've said uh, from the get-go.
1: Okay, so um, I tell you what, let's uh, because we're up against the clock here, let's take a quick break because there are a couple of other things I know we both want to talk about. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with the mayor. We are back with Miami Mayor Francis Suarez our first chat with him since he's back from the presidential campaign trail. Maybe in another show we'll talk about that experience we got a lot to talk about one more money question if you will indulge us and uh, and then I want to get to a state of the city. But mayor you were elected in 2017 as mayor you are you are term limited this is your second term as we talked about before you as mayor make $96,000 in salary some benefits bring it up a little bit um, in the six years that you've been in office and you your net worth, and this is something that elected officials make public, this is not a personal thing, this is something your constituents need to know, that in office, your net worth went from a little bit below $300,000 to more than $3 million. And our first look at your financials are what you filed with the FEC, the Federal Elections Commission, when you ran for president, uh, 15 firms or so, banks. Uh, equity firms, wealth management's, who you have been consulting for, for salary. Can you explain to your constituents what you do for these companies and, and have they hired you because of your position as mayor of Miami? And how much time do you spend for them and where, why do they pay you this money?
0: Well, look, when you do disclosures, you do it for a range of times. So there are a lot of potential uh, uh, companies that you disclose, but Right now, currently, I work for a law firm, uh, which is one of the most prestigious law firms in the world. I've been a lawyer for 20 years. Um, I've been in a public official, by the way, for 14 years, not six. Uh, and I've been a practicing uh, attorney uh, and a private sector, uh, a person who works in the private sector the entire time. Uh, many people may not know, and this is one thing I would tell our constituents, that 31 out of the 34 mayors in our county are working mayors. You have many other mayors who are lawyers, lawyers who work for Contracting companies, lawyers who have small businesses. Oh, 100. I
1: mean, and and every. I just, 100% I just to people that, work in the private sector. I guess. Sure. I guess the question, if I can sure. short circuit that, is, would these companies didn't hire you when you were not an elected official, and and that's um, you know that's just a red flag to people who see their mayors working in the private sector private sector companies that might benefit from their elected position. That really is the crux of
0: that. Well, listen, I'm laughing a little bit because uh, when I wasn't an elected official, I was 30 years old. <laughs> so I had just started as a practicing lawyer. You know, I've been, uh, you know, someone who has thankfully uh, uh, progressed and had success, which is something, of course, I don't apologize for. I'm, I'm a father, you know, I'm a parent. I want to do like every uh, member of my community. I want to do the very best for my family. I'm entitled to have a private life. I'm entitled to have private employment. I'm Entitled to be successful, Uh, and I'm entitled that people find value in 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 my work and my work experiences, uh, and in my uh, background, uh, and in my resume. And so that's something that I should be, you know, proud of, uh, not something that I should be ashamed of. And like you said, it's something that I disclose, even in the federal case, at a level of every income opportunity over five thousand dollars in gross income. So basically, every single thing that I've ever made money on, I disclose. I don't have a problem disclosing it. You know, sometimes I get criticized. For how I disclose things. So there's a different threshold under the state that there is under the federal government. It's much stricter under the federal government. And I welcome that. When I ran for president, I knew that I was going to have to disclose all these things. And I was not in any way, shape, or form afraid of it because I have nothing to hide. I disclosed it. You know, I'm successful. And, and you know, thankfully we live in a country uh, where that's possible.
1: One of the things that was not disclosed until very recently when it was brought up in the press was, um, and in fact, was under an ethics investigation, which is now closed on a technicality, not on its merits, were a lot of the, what appeared to be gifts, perks, uh, the, the World Cup in Qatar with David Beckham the F1 races with Citadel hedge fund manager Ken Griffin, these people, of course, with business in front of the city. A lot of these VIP experiences that you have that bubble up in these beautiful pictures on social media uh, worth thousands of dollars, maybe in aggregate tens of thousands of dollars. Those were not disclosed. And I wonder, Mayor, if you can talk about, were those personal appearances? Were those uh, mayoral businesses? And why not disclose the value of those gifts that you got?
0: Well, the, the question presumes that I didn't disclose them, uh, which, of course, is not accurate. Uh, you know, I, I, first of all, many people have told me that they expect me as the mayor of Miami to attend these events. Uh, I helped bring Formula One uh, to Miami over the course of multiple years, um, and, and so it's arguably something that I would do in my official capacity, but but in the case of Formula One and in the case of, uh, of, of Citadel, I paid for that <laughs> myself, and in fact, I disclosed it to a member of the media when I didn't have to. Well, actually,
1: Ken, Ken Griffin's spokesperson said that he paid for them.
0: No, I, I, I reimbursed him for it. So it, but what happens is I was invited, I went to the game and I reimbursed him because he was a lobbyist and I could not accept a gift from him. So there are rules related to what who you can accept gifts from, who you cannot accept gifts from, since you cannot accept a gift from a lobbyist, I paid for it and I disclosed it when I didn't have to, because you don't have to disclose for gifts that you don't get. Right, right? but you, you, don't, see, you see, don't you,
1: have you, know, to you know why that's problematic because I guess questions are, well, why not just pay for it in the first place? And and if you did repay them, constituents would wanna see the documentation of that. But you, you see, Mayor, why, why there are so many questions about thousands of dollars of, of gifts that you reimbursed rather than paid for, and in one case gave several different answers about the amount that you did reimburse. So there, you understand why that's a problem for an elected official answering to his constituents?
0: No, no, Glenn, I don't. Uh, I think there are, there are laws and there are rules and you have to follow them. And so if you pay for something, it is not a gift. So therefore it does not have to be disclosed. I, would, I don't know where, uh, someone maybe in the Miami Herald was confused with how I answered them when I disclosed information that was not required of me to, to disclose. I disclosed it anyways, which was the amount, and they were confused as to how much or how many days the amount paid for. Um, but that's not my uh, fault. Again, was-
1: I, I really, I'm, this isn't about the Miami Herald, it's, it's about an well, elected official with to, this I know, constituents, but if, me. Let, me, let me just ask the question. So, it, it is the, the Citadel spokesperson who said originally who who put it out into the public that this was paid for by Citadel. And if you bought these tickets or reimbursed the tickets, why not just buy them in the first place? Why not report it? And And I guess the last question is, were you at those races as the mayor of Miami or as a private citizen?
0: So in an abundance of caution, like I said, I paid for it. Uh, And what happens is you get invited to to something. And then, like, for example, I don't know if you remember when I went to the Heat game and, and, and it was written about as well. Uh, I was standing in the front row, I wasn't hiding from anyone, I wasn't trying to get a gift sort of, uh, you know, secretly, I sat in the front row, uh, I watched the game, the Heat won the playoff game, okay, and then I had to disclose that as a gift, which I did, by the way, that takes time, and the law affords you an amount of time, it gives you a quarter after the quarter in which you receive the gift, and there's a reason for that, the reason is, you have to figure out exactly how much it costs, so for example, in a Miami Heat playoff game, okay, the person who gets season tickets doesn't pay individually for that game, so you have to figure out what the market value is uh, and all that. And that's what I did. I went with the highest amount possible as a gift disclosure, and I disclosed it, which I believe is in part why the Miami-Dade Ethics Commission dismissed uh, the case. And I think I think it's it's unfair, uh, you know, for the headline not to be you know, a mayor's ethics case dismissed. There's a corresponding case in in the state. Um, my hope is that it gets dismissed as well, and that we can turn the page on this and focus on the things that are important for our residents i
1: just I just want to understand this is actually just a factual question I don't want you to feel like fair or unfair because what's fair for constituents is to know what their elected officials are doing and with whose money they're doing it so so the the Uh, World Cup in Qatar in 2022. You were there with David Beckham. You took two city taxpayer paid security with you. I'm not sure I have seen any documentation of who paid for you on that trip. Has that been filed?
0: But that that assumes you, that you need to see some documentation. So you see documentations under certain circumstances. Uh the fact that I have an executive security detail um is something that I've had. They travel with me everywhere I go. Um, you know, and that's part of the my right, Department. Mayor.
1: But, and I hope you enjoyed but, the World Cup but, for sure. But, but you were there with someone who's but, but that, doing city business. That the that's point is, the point.
0: Lana, the point is that we have rules and there are uh, accountability measures when you don't follow the rules, like filing AN ethics complaint. And what happened was someone who was uh, a partisan activist filed a partisan uh, filed a a complaint against me, which they have every right to do. They're a Miami resident, apparently, and that was dismissed. and Hopefully, at the state, it will be dismissed. and Hopefully, we can turn the page on these questions and focus on positive things for the city of Miami, which is what we should be doing. Not where I go. Okay, but
1: just a just a point of context, it was dismissed on a technicality, not because of the merits of what's what your that's your perspective. I no, mean that's that's, not that's what the ethics commission wrote. That's I no the ethics commission me.
0: wrote that's not what they wrote. What the ethics commission wrote well,
1: when I get is, off the air, I'll send was, it to you.
0: What the ethics commission wrote, so for your for your, uh, your listeners to see, is one of the components of filing a valid ethics commission is you have to have personal knowledge. Yes. And what he did was he included a variety of Miami Herald articles. As the basis for his complaint and therefore was dismissed I don't know how you call that a technicality I call that following the rules and the rules were not followed it wasn't a a basis complaint it wasn't a complaint with basis and it was dismissed and hopefully it will be dismissed at the state that's my hope I
1: I guess my technicality meant it wasn't about the actual allegations of what you did and how you paid it was that he had no standing that's so anyway um we have successfully run out our clock I hope you will come back because there's some things in the city to talk about. And I really kind of want to delve into a lot of those things that you said at the beginning of this interview about um, some of the things the city is doing. And so I hope you will join us again soon.
0: Always, thank you, of course. Thank you for the opportunity, Mayor.
1: Got it. Next, 305 represent. A Miami state rep officially became the next speaker of the Florida House this week. And he is right here live with a look into that future. For the second time in a decade, the Florida House will be led next by a speaker from South Florida. Speaker designate Daniel Perez, R Miami-Dade takes the gavel in 2024, and this week was officially designated in a ceremony at the Capitol. When he does, he will have the Republican majority in the House to advance his agenda. What that agenda will be and what the governing culture he will foster or maybe demand. Just a few of the questions for speaker designate Danny Perez live with us today. Good morning and congratulations.
3: Glenna, thank you so much. Uh, Good morning to you and to the rest of your viewers, but thank you for the congratulatory message. It's, It's an honor for me, my family, my friends, but really for the entire Miami community.
1: I know, and I will say that because we've been in Tallahassee covering a lot of things, and politics aside, you are very well-respected and beloved by people on both sides of the aisle. And so um, it'll be a really great two years 24 to 26, it's a long way away, but unlike we in news who do things day to day, you plan a lot further ahead. So um, I, wanna, I wanna get a sense of when you take this gavel, you expect, um, you expect the state to get a little extra, this part of the state to get a little extra juice from state government.
3: <laughs> well, look, I, I actually, I might get faulted for it far too often, but uh, I'm a Miami guy. This is where I grew up this is where uh, I work, this is where I'm raising my children, this is home. And I want to make sure that we take care of Miami-Dade. but really the South Florida community. And now's our time to do it. So I, you know, Glenna, something that is actually super fun for me, I I still keep a walk list of my constituents in my car. And now obviously schedule is pretty tight. I probably do it every four weeks or so, but I still knock on doors just to get a my finger on the pulse a little bit more on the issues and, uh, and 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 I in doing so is how we kind of roll out our agenda over the next several years and I'm sure we'll get into it here, but I'm still hearing property insurance at the doors. I'm feeling property insurance personally in my home that I'm in right now. Uh, so so yes, it, we we will focus uh, on Miami Dade County moving forward.
1: I you know I um I watched your speech. I heard you say that I do want to talk a little bit about property insurance. What what has on and what ha- what is to come, but I want to sort of get a, a, a more of an overview. Um, talk about some things that you said in your speech at the at the designation ceremony. But first, um, is there an agenda yet? Is that fair? Do you have the the start? Do you have a pad where you're starting to build an agenda for next the following next session?
3: So Glenna, as you know, I don't start until November of 2024 as a Speaker of the House. Currently, I'm the Speaker-designate. So over the next 12 months, we'll continue to focus on Speaker Renner's priorities, which he's done a phenomenal job as Speaker in Tallahassee. He's been able to tackle affordable housing, workforce housing, education, especially here in Miami-Dade County. I think a huge win for me and the delegation from Miami-Dade County, and by the way, in a bipartisan manner, was making sure that our students receive more money than ever before. In the history of the county, Uh, every student here in our county is receiving more funds today than they were a year ago Uh, we've also been able to tackle property insurance and we'll continue to do that agenda but at the same time Glenn, you're right i do have my own priorities Uh, we'll continue the property insurance conversation we have to until we find a solution we'll fight inflation as best we can on a state level and then the last one, which is a little personal to me, uh, it's not such a popular issue, but for me it's, it's at the top of my list, is making sure that people with developmental disabilities, people with autism, making sure that, that they have the necessary health care coverage for them, which today sometimes doesn't exist because there is a wait list that, that happens in, in today's society.
1: So does that mean that you would consider what past governments have not in this state is Medicaid expansion?
3: It's not necessarily Medicaid expansion. I would I would uh, assimilate this to what Speaker Sprouse did about a year and a half ago. If you remember, we were having issues with uh, women who were giving birth, and after three months, the state wasn't extending their healthcare coverage. And then we were having complicated issues, and so we extended their healthcare coverage to about 12 months, and that was a big win. And again, in a bipartisan manner, which is what I love about Tallahassee, Glenna, you know, I'm a Miami guy, I grew up here, I went to high school here, but. Tallahassee is a special place. I mean, we, we really do focus on on things in a different way than than most governments. But my, my point is, uh, we did that for for women that were struggling with health care co- coverage a couple years ago, and I would like to do the same for people with special needs. I think we have to look at how we can move the needle. It's not about the exact funds that are being used and, and increasing the funds. Sometimes it's about the way we go about providing the health care services. For example, we just we just initiated a pilot program here in Miami Dade County that we just passed in the last session which is gonna move the healthcare uh, program from a fee-for-service model to a managed care model. Again, it's a pilot program, but we're trying to extend our services a little bit more than we can today with the same amount of funds. And if it works, we can roll it out to the entire state.
1: I know mental health is going to continue to be much more of a focus we saw it this past session we see it in the upcoming session already um mr speaker designate i want to ask you about some of the things that you said in your speech on monday you said members we are in danger of becoming a conveyor belt what did you mean by that
3: i don't want the rubber stamp I don't, Glenna, I don't. You have to remember, we're a a part-time legislator, so we all have normal jobs. We all spend most of our time in our districts. When we go up there, we have to be laser focused on what the real issues are. And if you continue to listen to the speech, I talk about asking the members that if they have something to say, make sure it's unique. Make sure it's something that really matters. Make sure it's something that is really going to make a positive change in your communities the rubber stamp model the the model of only submitting a bill because it's 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 what's important to a special interest group scratch that for a second get on the road, knock on the doors, get into your homes here in Miami, have the Cuban cafecito, and really think about it. Is this gonna change the, the lives of my constituents for the better? I don't want the conveyor belt where people go up there, they get a rubber stamp, they submit a bill, it gets filed, it passes, gets signed by the governor. Have you really changed anything? If the answer to that is no, then those bills have to, they have to, they have to get cut out. We can't be doing those.
1: So that that's interesting. So let's apply that to property insurance because the raft of bills that passed pro- for property insurance well, my understanding, anyway, was that it was really focused on writing the market so that that insurers would come in with the thought being that competition would happen and prices would go lower. But it really did nothing to lower prices at all. In fact, they're still going up, as you know, because you hear from your constituents. But those bills passed with huge participation from the insurance industry. And I think um, some lawmakers have told me, well, that's how we learn. We learn from the lobbyists. A lot of people think lobbying is a bad word, but but lobbyists really are in a position of educating lawmakers. And then there are the political contributions from these. So apply that not a conveyor belt to that real life process of lawmakers needing to learn things from the industries they're addressing.
3: But I've been in the house for six years. Every year we have a conversation about property insurance, the truth. Every solution we have applied hasn't solved the solution yet. We are still working on it. I am just as frustrated as every constituent. 120% is what my homeowner's insurance went up. I get it, I get it. Here, here, here's what I like to point out. When we passed the last bill, we expected about 18 to 24 months before we saw uh, the, the the fruits of our labor on that specific policy. Two weeks ago, I sat with one of our carriers in the state of Florida, uh, that, that's been here from before, not one of the newer ones, because, Glenda, there, there are two companies that are that are on, on the way in, there, there are conversations that are happening on that. Uh, but I sat with them and I said, hey, it, the, the policy that we passed on insurance reform, are you starting to see the changes? Is, can I tell my constituents there's a light at the end of the tunnel? And they said, actually, yes, the answer is yes. Um, we are expected to see it actually within 12 months, which would probably be around June or July of next year, which, and and I said, what does that mean? Are are rates going to go down? I mean, what what does that really mean? Because I got to be able to relay this message. And they said the increases were happening at 13% at best. They said, as of right now, we're expecting those increases to go to about 6% by next June or July. So at least we're trending in the right direction. Again, Glenna, not the solution in totality. There's still a lot that needs to be done. My greatest concern right now, and this is, and this is you and I, Glenn, this is you and I talking, my greatest concern right now, look, Miami, we're such a family-oriented community. We care about our culture, we care about our friends, we care about our neighbors. I am seeing people have to choose between staying in Miami to be with their family and friends, but have to find a way to make those extra dollars to pay for their homeowner's insurance. Yeah, 100%. Or things and move somewhere else. 100%. It's we, we,
1: re- we report on those people, 100%. Um, Mr. Speaker-Designate, can you just sit tight? Let us take a two-minute yes. break. We'll be right back with more. <laughs> are back with state rep and now speaker designate for 24 through 26 Daniel Perez of Miami-Dade. May I call you Danny for the next six minutes <laughs> like <Deal>. usual. That's <laughs> a deal. That's a deal. Okay. So you said something before that I um, it really kind of piqued my interest that I want to go back to. And, and I think you are right when you say I've seen this in Tallahassee that there is a lot of bipartisanship that goes on in the halls and in the Capitol. I think a lot of people on the streets don't see that because especially LATELY. The oxygen is sucked out of the room by a lot of very big controversial and very partisan bills. And so I want to kind of talk about that for a moment because in the last session, the last two sessions, we've seen a Republican supermajority all but ignore the Democrats on those kind of what people call culture war bills. I mean, rafts of amendments to certain bills that were ignored. um, and, And you hear that frustration in the minority party. So I was wondering, with that kind of spirit, when we go into this coming session with Speaker Renner and then yours, is there an eye toward kind of clearing that air and bringing back the collaborative um, atmosphere that that there once was?
3: Yeah, Glenna, look, I, um, you know, when people bring up the culture wars or the social wars, I'm very quick to fight back on the definition and I'm gonna explain to you why. Um, when we passed a bill that had to do with parental rights and make which you're very aware of because you and I have spoken about it and, and, and you're 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 a smart woman that gets the issues. When when we when we talk about parental rights and uh, not teaching children, which started with kinder through third and then extended through high school, about sexual orientation or gender identity without a parent knowing of that conversation between the student and a teacher or a school administrator, I don't consider that culture war, social warfare, I don't. I consider that parental rights and just making sure that a parent understands what conversations a child is having in school between the ages of three all the way to high school. And and, and so I, that's where I separate them because uh, I don't consider it the same way as many people do. But But to go a little further in your question, Glenna, what's most important to me, um, and I've been consistent with this from day one, and we've mentioned on the show, what's been most important to me is making sure that we actually have the conversations, the debate, in committee, and on the floor on issues that really matter and that are going to change people's lives in a bipartisan way. We've spoken about this with Frances Driscoll, who's going to be the minority leader. She's the minority leader today. We've spoken about that um, for the next several years, and she's a friend of mine. So it's, you know, it's something where we understand the priorities, and the priorities here, quite frankly, are, are still property insurance. Um, but I hope that answers your question. Uh,
1: It kind of does. (laughs) I guess um, like Fentress Driscoll, I think what she said is okay, well, let's wait and see. And so I think for a lot of things we have to do that because we're more than a year away. But um, I I think culture wars is a, I guess a headline. I don't wanna get lost in the semantics, but I, I, I wanna hear you address one thing that you won't have to contend with in your tenure is a governor running for president and looking for the support to pave that way. Um, is thats is that going to be a big deal?
3: The governor has actually been a friend. The governor has done a phenomenal job of putting Florida in the position that we're in today uh, with low unemployment, with an economy that's, that's boosting, um, but at the same time, I have mentioned this, uh, there is no body closer to the people than the legislature. And that's the reason that the founding fathers asked for the legislature to exist and eventually created it. We are the body directly connected to the constituents. And and we are the ones that make the laws. Do we work hand in hand with the governor? Absolutely. Um, and, and, and he's been a friend. Um, but there is a difference between the governor's office and the legislature, and it's our job to make sure that we create the right laws that are going to impact the people where it's most needed. And, and, and so as we kind of move over the next couple of years, it'll obviously change um, depending on what the presidential election looks like. I mean, we, we could have um, a Jeanette Nunez, Lieutenant Governor Je- Jeanette Nunez in the role as governor. We can have Ron DeSantis in a role as governor. We don't know yet what that's going to look like, but I do want to make sure that the members understand uh, it is our job to create the laws and to work together with the governor. And, and I'm excited to do that together with my colleagues. We have great talent in Tallahassee, Glenn, and you know, because you go up there and you talk to them, but you can you can go down almost any office and there's someone uh, in an office that that actually has a, a, a real skill set to help Florida. I'm excited to see what they hold uh, together over the next several years.
1: Before we run out of time, and it's about a minute, so this, this is going to be one of those TV answers for you. The Live Local Act, we had uh, Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo was here we've talked a lot about that addressing affordable housing crisis uh, a a vast bill that has a lot of interesting components but the one thing that has become problematic to local mayors was the fact that it gives developers tools that preempts in some cases local decisions you're you are a local guy you've talked about you know you're a man in the streets what do you think about will this need a tweaking before this really becomes problematic for local zoning?
3: So I've spoken with President Pasadomo about this, actually, um, specifically on this issue. So it's actually a great question. Uh, there there are um, other conversations that are being had right now and eventually will be put into a committee um, on making sure that the details of the Live Local Act, if it needs any fixes, that people are going to be able to have the opportunity to put their input into whatever next version exists. We're lucky we're going to have Senator Pasadomo with us, Senate President Pasadoma with us for several years. And, and she's a figurehead in this world. And so she said it herself, she's not done. Um, and we're not done in the House either. We're going to continue to work together to see what fixes we can do to make it easier um, for people to implement the Live Local Act. When 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 we talk about live local, we keep talking about affordable housing. I also like to talk about workforce housing. Going back to what my greatest concerns are, which is people, I'm a young guy, I'm 36 years old. People of my generation having to pick up and move to another state because they can't start their lives here. That's a concern of mine and workforce housing has been
1: helping. 100% and affordable just means affordable. I don't know how that ever came to mean anything but, but we gotta afford it, right? Speaker-designate Danny Perez, great to have you with us on your week of designation. Congratulations again, and we'll see you right back here pretty soon.
3: Thank you, Glenn, and thank you for everything you do. It's important that your viewers get an opportunity to get to meet us. I appreciate you.
1: Appreciate you back, thanks. All right, next, schools and the boards that run them are the latest frontier in the politics of education, and one race already has two public school veterans with compelling backstories, and you will meet them next. <music> elections are still more than a year away, but the runway is a long one for candidates filing in a year of major changes to Florida schools. In one Miami-Dade race, a new candidate comes with a high profile already, challenging a public school veteran already raising money in support. Hatzel Vela now with an early profile of this District 7 race.
2: If there's one thing I know, is education. A former principal is in the running, and so is a former teacher turned tech entrepreneur. I just couldn't sit on the sidelines anymore. A year out, but the race for Miami-Dade School Board in District 7 already has two solid contenders. At the same time, I'm telling you, man, it's been a blessing. Meet Javi Perez, the former South Dade high school principal who defied the odds after almost losing his life. Know. Is it terrible? Absolutely. Uh, but my kids I'm going to have a father. You know, I'm not dead. In 2016, he was struck by a car while coaching his son's Little League Baseball team. Months in the hospital, 26 surgeries after losing his legs. So the last six years, I've been looking for that something bigger. Cuban born, he came here at the age of seven and is the product of Miami Public Schools. I've been a security monitor, a teacher, a coach. Uh, assistant principal, a principal. Almost three decades in the school system, the former principal says his professional and personal experience makes him the right candidate.
0: I'm very, very grateful that I grew up in this type of community.
2: Max Tuckman calls herself a Kendall girl, also the product of public schools in Miami, the daughter of Cuban immigrants who fled after the revolution, a family used to fleeing persecution. My grandparents are her Holocaust survivors. It's partly why she feels an obligation to pay it forward. After college, Tuckman joined Teach for America, ends up in the classroom at Miami Northwestern Senior High School. Fast forward to 2017, when she created an education interactive video calling platform called Caribou. So you can read, draw, play games together. It's all this kind of, we call it a virtual play date. Um, but the idea is that kids are learning. The app took off during the pandemic. Apple in time called it one of the best out there. Both Tuckman and Perez are entering a race for a seat on a school board that has become a battleground of cultural wars. That school board meeting um, was hard to watch. Tuckman addressing the fiery meeting where the Miami-Dade oh school board rejected a month that recognizes the contributions LGBTQ people made in history. All students need to learn everyone's history. Tuckman and Perez both agree the classroom has become too politicized. I think at times it's a lot of noise. For example, on Sex Education, Perez says, content has to be age appropriate, but high school students should be learning as much as possible. Sometimes the student might feel more comfortable asking a teacher at that age than a parent. Then there's the uproar over African-American studies and the idea slaves benefited from being oppressed.
1: I can't ever imagine someone coming to me and saying, you're the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors. They must have benefited from going through the Holocaust.
2: TO TEACHERS WHO ARE OFTEN CAUGHT IN THE POLITICAL CROSSHAIRS, PEREZ HAS A MESSAGE. IN HERE, AS LONG AS YOU'RE DOING WHAT'S BEST FOR THE KIDS, YOU'RE OKAY. BOTH, WHO BRING AN EDUCATIONAL BACKGROUND, SAY THE FOCUS SHOULD SHIFT BACK TO KIDS. STUDENT ACHIEVEMENT IS AT THE TOP OF MY LIST. AS LONG AS WE ALWAYS FOLLOW,
1: IS THIS BEST FOR OUR KIDS? we'll be fine.
2: Both looking forward to a politics-free campaign. As two educators who come from this community, I am hoping that we can, at the end of the day, do what's best for kids and leave the politics out of it. So the campaigning has already started. In fact, Tuckman has raised more than $100,000. You talk to both of them and they'll tell you they want to knock on as many doors as possible. Reporting from the city of Miami, I'm Hatsavala. Back to you, Glenna.
1: Our thanks to Hatzel, and we will be right back. To re watch today's interviews or listen to the podcast, just scan that QR code right there with your phone, and it takes you right to the This Week in South Florida section of localpen.com. And don't forget, we love to hear from you about anything in the news. Reach out on email or social media. Have a beautiful Sunday. We really appreciate you being here with us.